I think we have just enough time to ask that we all stand. Could we all stand, please? Just to move yourself a little bit and to take a deep breath. Deep breath. And now you can let go. Let it go. Let it go and relax. Sit down, please. Sit down. Thank you very much. It gives me great privilege this morning to hand over the rest of this meeting to our Bible teacher and speaker, Mr. Randy Amos. And I ask him now to come to the podium and to give us the word that the Lord has placed on his heart. Brother Randy, please. Well, on behalf of my wife and myself, we thank you for the privilege of being with you. And whatever we accomplish, I'm reminded that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and power may be of God and not of us. It's all of him, and the privilege to be with you to try to build you up in your most holy faith. We again apologize for not being able to be with you tonight. Uh, I miscalculated. Uh, I, I'm due to begin in Reedsville, North Carolina at 5.15 tomorrow afternoon. I said, well, if I leave uh, Florida like I usually do, I usually leave from Camp Horizon. I said, I can get up early and make it. And then later it dawned on me, I'm not leaving from Camp Horizon, I'm leaving from Miami. <laughs> and you're a good four-hour, and then I, I just couldn't make it. So uh, uh, thank you for understanding. Thank you for understanding. We appreciate your kindness being with you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'll amen that good fellowship dinner at the time we had yesterday. Thank you in the Lord Jesus. And pray for us as we travel on, as you have, for journey mercies, for being able to speak as the oracles of God, to truly edify the church in ways that build us up in Christ. Uh, that we'll, It'll not only be taken in, but we'll say what he would have us to say. Probably be relocating, Lord willing, we will be in June to the West Coast, to Portland, Oregon area, but now and then, uh, hope to... Uh, fly back east now and then, just like the planes fly west, they do fly east also. So uh, we'll see what happens though. Having said that, we'll do a very slight review on uh, the message on our heart, and I'd like you to begin again in Revelation chapter 11, please. Revelation chapter 11, please. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 11. And we're looking at God's world plan, for the Bible does reveal such. And one of the verses here, in Revelation 11, that kind of sums it up in one verse. There's some verses that just kind of give a summation of the whole book. And that's one of those verses here in Revelation 11 and verse 15. Verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The Lord does, blesses the reading of his word. We'll be reading more later. The passing away of the kingdoms of this world. We've been looking at God's world plan. We've considered God's future world plan. We said the next big event on God's calendar for this world, you could boil it down to one word, it is the word destruction. We have it represented here with Satan's crown. 
We, we also use the garbage bag to show just like a garbage bag is headed for judgment, so is this world. Destruction. The language of 1 Thessalonians 5.3. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, and they shall not escape as travail upon a woman with child, and so on. And so the great cataclysmic judgment because of sin, its pollution, its unrepentant sin, is coming on this world system in which God views it not under the direct uh, control of the Lord Jesus, they crucified him, but under Satan. He is the prince and power of the air. He is the God of this world that has blinded the minds of them that believe not. 2 Corinthians 4.4 in the language again of 1 John 5.19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And so it's under his control. He's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And this world is in rebellion to God, his gospel, his grace, his righteousness, uh, his glory. It's in rebellion and blinded in deceit by the God of this world that deceives this whole world. So because of its corruption, it is headed for destruction because God has a better plan. So we've looked a little bit about the next big event, the destruction coming on this world, and likened it to a garbage bag in our earlier lessons. However, he has a present world plan. We spent time on that yesterday, uh, using the language of Acts 15, 14. How God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. He's calling out of this condemned world under Satan, through the gospel, through the plan of salvation, a people for his name. And that is done through the gospel. And uh, th that people is called the church. And I'll just put this right up here next to Satan's world system. We talked about that yesterday, the different callings of the church. We're a beacon light, we're a body, a building, a bride. And this represents the different aspects of the church. Also, we've used this little symbol of a vessel made clean by the blood of Christ. He's cleansed us. He has come into us to give us his, light, his life and light. We're under his blood cleansed from sin, a believer of which the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church, under the blood, the Holy Ghost in us, and, and connected to the living head, the Lord Jesus, a spiritual building. But we exist simultaneously down here at the same time as Satan's world does, and Satan's kingdom, and that can make things difficult sometimes, can it? And so we have these two things. But, but, but God's, again, his, his future plan, even though he's now building a church, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His future plan is to destroy this world. Look right in the passage we're at in chapter 11 and verse 18. As we continue our review, chapter 11 and verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings, and voices, and thunders, and an earthquake, and great hail. And we have the obliteration of this present world system here, that the wrath of God... Uh, he's going to destroy them that destroyed or corrupted the earth. We're going to see a little more details on that and then look at what's going to replace it. Remember, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There's going to be a restoration. 
He's just not going to destroy this so there's nothing, to replace it with something better. And this will be replaced by the rule of the Lord Jesus and the kingdom of God. But before we get into that, before it's replaced, this is removed, it is destroyed. Sudden destruction. It is so corrupt. How can you have heaven and peace on earth if you have unrepentant sinners against them? You know, that you just have what you have today. It wouldn't be heaven. It wouldn't be the kingdom of God. And they wouldn't be happy there. You mentioned the Bible now or the name of Jesus Christ and they run away from you. That's all that's going to be said up there. <laughs> Why would they be any more comfortable? And so he has to deal with the rebels, deal with unrepentant sinners, and purge this world before he can establish the kingdom of God. Now, in doing that, before he ever does that, let me use biblical language here. In Isaiah 24, the sudden destruction that's coming, it says, Behold, he maketh the earth empty, verse 1. There will only be a few men left. The inhabitants are going to be burned up. The great day of God's judgment against sin is coming. In fact, it goes on to say in Isaiah 24, 1, He turneth the world upside down. The whole thing's going to fall apart. Turns it up, it's going to reel to and fro like a drunkard, off its axis. You know what one hurricane or one little earthquake can do? The whole thing is really like a drunk man, and the whole thing is collapsing. Cosmic uh, stars are falling, outer space is collapsing. The thing is turned upside down, and we've never even, can even imagine anything like that. This is the wrath of God upon sin. I want to tell you, before he does that, before he does that, the Bible, you know his church? We've been talking about it here. Let me just uh, illustrate something for you. We are the bride we learned last night whom he loves. Before he does that and shakes this world, he's going to do something. You know what that is? He's going to remove the born-again church from the wrath coming. We are not appointed to this. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, and it's speaking of the world judgment, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. No husband would allow his dear bride to go through judgment if he could control it. Christ has taken our judgment. We are not appointed to this. In fact, we will, he will first, before he ever comes back to earth, to judge this earth, before he ever comes back to earth, he's going to come to the air to snatch us out. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17 to the church. For the Lord himself should descend from heaven, it says, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we are taken from this earth because we're saved from wrath. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it puts it this way. Uh, the early Christians, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so we have been delivered by Jesus' coming to the air from the wrath to come. So before this judgment comes, there is no more church as a lampstand on planet earth. Okay? The wrath, he has taken us from that. And so then, when we're gone, then the wrath of God is going to fall. Now progress with me on this to look a little more at this destruction before we look at the replacement, the restoration of the kingdom of God, God's future world plan. Go with me to Revelation 19, where our brother read. Revelation chapter 19, please.
Revelation 19 and uh, verse 11. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat up in him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. By this time, the church is already with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the wrath of God falling. This is this destruction. And as the Lord, the heavens open, and he comes back, not on a donkey this time, not with a crown of thorns, but with many crowns. You see, the second coming of the Lord Jesus will vindicate him. It will not be to be laughed at and mocked and to be naked on a cross. Uh, he's coming to be glorified. You know, it says in Matthew 24, 30, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. What a day for him. Great glory. He shall set up on the throne of his glory, says Matthew 25, 31. Again, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Not to be jeered at and laughed and spit upon. That was the humiliation of the Son of God. I want to tell you what the second coming means to him. He'll receive all the glory he's due. Every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as he descends on a white horse, that the carpenter is now the controller of the world, the victim is the victor. The killed one is king of kings. And he comes in all this glory. The first thing he does, did you see verse 11? In righteousness he doth judge and make war. You say, oh, I thought he came to bring peace on earth. Yeah, he did. But the principle is you cannot have peace until sin is judged. A lot of people, they try to get peace today, and they tolerate sin, and they don't deal with sin, whether it's in their own lives or in the church or in the political nations. And they wonder why we don't have peace. And the principle, as we'll see, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. <laughs> Isaiah 57, 20. Uh, that sin has to be dealt with. And so the first thing the Lord Jesus Christ will do is declare war. Not on his believers, his bride, he's taking them to be with him. They're saved. That's what salvation means. You're saved from this, okay? Saved from his wrath. But, but on the, the rest of this unrepentant world, he'll now bring it to an end as we know it. And some major things will happen. Just go down to the end of verse 19 here. As he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. and uh, Well, our brother already read it, but look at verse 15 for a minute. Revelation 19 and verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Not coming to be crucified, but to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Smiting the nations with the rod and the uh, uh, sword out of his mouth. Now in doing that, the one of the first major things that happened, I shouldn't say it's the only thing, but one of the major things that happened is the removal of the sinner, or let's put it this way, the revenge on the sinner. Look how the chapter ends. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 of Revelation 19. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh? So many dead bodies that the birds of the air will have to clean up the mess. The sword of his mouth slays the, all these little armies here that uh, uh, had gathered together, and the whole military of the world is wiped out. 
we have the revenge on the sinner. To use biblical language when he comes back with his mighty angels. And flaming fire, 2 Thessalonians 1. Taking vengeance on them that know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction. And so there is the revenge of the sinner coming. Uh, you cannot have peace until sin is dealt with. That's just an eternal principle because God is holy. And there'll be no peace on earth and goodwill toward men until the sinner that won't repent is removed. The revenge on the sinner. The, the earth is filled with their dead corpses. But he does more than that. He deals with the source behind the sinner. Many politicians have great schemes to make world peace. You might admire them for their goals, but, but they don't deal with sin. And they can't deal with the source, but the Lord will. We have the removal of the serpent. Not only revenge on the sinner, but the removal of the serpent, that is Satan. Look at chapter 20. Chapter 20 here. As it continues in verse 1. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. So for this thousand years reign of the Lord Jesus, the serpent is going to be put in a bottomless pit. The one who deceives, he tricks, he blinds this world to the glory of the gospel of Christ that can save him. Through false religion, through sensual pleasure, through uh, man's philosophies, he blinds this world so they can't see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The great deceiver. But he is removed in a bottomless pit that he should deceive the nations no more. You want peace on earth, you have to deal with a sinner, and you have to deal with a serpent. There's only one person that can do that. Not a liberal, not a conservative, the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be the removal, the revenge on the sinner, and the removal of the serpent. Thirdly, if you look at the next verse, verse 4, Revelation 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat up upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, and neither had received his marks or his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Look at verse six: Blessed and holy. Is he that hath part in the first resurrection? On such the second death hath no power, and they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You will have, as this is replaced, this comes to an end, the world under Satan, and the whole system is broken down physically and spiritually with the revenge on the sin and removal of the saint, but I'm going to tell you it's replaced with the rule of the son and his saints. The rule of his son. It's just not left in nothing. That they shall reign with Christ a thousand years. As we read earlier today, and again in Revelation eleven fifteen, that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is replaced by this. This is the hope of the world, the coming kingdom of God. 
Remember the Lord Jesus when he was on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We used to pray that in school, didn't we? People have forgot about that. We're told that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Brothers and sisters and friends, our hope is not in this system who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. This is coming to a cataclysmic judgment, but God's world plan is even bigger than that. It's just not to remove this. It's to replace it with the rule of the Son and the saints. The rule of the Son. And when Christ comes back in glory, everything will change. Everything will change. So I'm just going to remove this here because it's going to be removed and replaced in the great program called the Times of Restoration in Acts 3.21. And so we come to the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus. But when we do, he doesn't come back alone. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all his saints with thee. He's bringing us back as his bride. There's that wedding in heaven. And we're going to reign with him. Let me see if I can just fix this a little better. Hope the whole thing doesn't collapse. Okay. <laughs> He's coming back with us. As the church is told in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? He has made us kings and priests unto God, and we shall reign on the earth, Revelation 5.10. We're coming back. First we miss the wrath, we meet him in the air, he saves us from the wrath of God because he died for us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We're saved. But then he brings us back uh, after this world is judged in this glory to reign on the earth with him. So now we have the rule of the Son and his saints. They shall reign with him a thousand years and so on. So it's just not him alone, the rule of the Son and his saints, known also as the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now having said that, we come to the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus returns to earth the second time in glory, not in weakness to be crucified. The first time for sin, the second time to rule the world. First he judges the world. There's the removal of the sinner, as we've been talking Now, what will this new kingdom be like? What are the characteristics of it? What do we have to look forward to? What will be involved in? You know, we're going to go, and if you'd go with me, to the prophet Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 2, please. I'm going to gingerly slide this over a bit so I can see you. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 2. What I'd like to do uh, with my remaining minutes this morning is just take you through a survey of the prophet Isaiah. And you will see little windows the Spirit of God opens to give you little glimpses of the coming kingdom of God. And we're just going to kind of put them all together this morning. As the prophet is given a revelation of that glorious day, not only when the Lord came to die, but when the Lord Jesus comes to rule and to reign, the coming kingdom of God. And in these windows, you're going to start to see the characteristics of this coming kingdom that we'll be involved in, not as citizens, but in the ruling body, in politics, if you will, (laughs) reigning with him, ruling the reign of the sun with its saints. Now, in doing that, we come to Isaiah chapter 2 here, as we begin to look at these little open windows here, and I want to take you to verse 1. Verse 1. In doing this, we're also going to see that all the major issues of your world today, there's different causes and groups and interests, 
that many people, what their heart is longing for and what they're trying to accomplish in this present world and failing miserably at it will actually happen in the coming kingdom of God. That we're going to get all these causes, but we're going to get it when God's Son is in His rightful place in glory and upon His throne and received by this world, not crucified by this world. And it will be salvation that will change the heart and judgment that will remove the unrepentant. So the, the, the big causes of this world uh, are going to be solved in the rule of the Lord Jesus. So, so we believe in these things. We just believe in the timing. They won't happen until he comes. So you look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Isaiah 2 and verse 1. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all the hills and all nations shall flow unto it and many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The capital, by the way, of this new kingdom on earth will not be Washington, D.C. or Tokyo or Los Angeles. It'll be Jerusalem, Israel. The city that I have chosen to put my name there. I'll just illustrate this for a minute. Judah and Jerusalem. God's heritage. God's promised land. And it will be based out of Israel, that country so despised today. And out of Jerusalem and Judah will be the center of the, it'll be the capital of the new world coming. You wonder why Satan's so against it? Why are people threatening to drive Israel into the sea? There's bigger fish out there, wealthier than Israel. United States, all Tokyo, all these big cities. Why aren't they trying to drive them into the sea firsthand? It's because this is where Satan uh, uh, is going to be dethroned. This is where the Son of God sets up his kingdom. And if he can obliterate Israel, he's proved God a liar and he's kept his stronghold. It is a spiritual war that's making the headlines of your newspaper. It is Satan driving people and political leaders into this great hatred of God's claim on the land of Israel. Right now on that temple mount in Israel, it doesn't set a temple of God. It says the Islamic Dome of the Rock. And if you can read Arabic, and we had it translated for us. And look at their inscribing on that beautiful golden dome that you see in all the pictures on the inside. It says, cursed is anyone that says that Allah has a son. It is a denial of the Son of God. That God is just some God, he's not expressing it. It is a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right on the Temple Mount. It is in Satan's clutches right now. But the Lord Jesus is going to reclaim the city of God for planet Earth. And it will be out of Jerusalem, Israel. But more than that, what we saw in those first three verses is religious unity. Religious unity. You know, your world today is just claiming, for, let's just tolerate everybody's beliefs. We just respect one another's belief and we'll be unified and have peace. Well, that, that's a unity of error. There's no peace in that. It's a unity of the faith that we all have to believe the same thing, God and His Son, the Lord Jesus. Notice this religious unity here. Look at it again at the end of verse 2. Speaking of Jerusalem, the Lord's house. And all nations shall flow unto it. 
I mean, all the nations, they're getting on airplanes. Or I don't know if they'll use airplanes. <laughs> Whatever, however they get there, they're going to go to Jerusalem. All nations. They all have the same goal. You say, what are they going for? Do they want a little archaeological class and learn history? No. Look at verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's hard to believe. We want to go have a Bible study. <laughs> we want to, the Lord Jesus is there. We want to hear his law, his word. We want to walk the way he wants to walk. It's because the sinner's been removed. It's made up of the saints. And then you'll have peace on earth and goodwill toward man. The world will be unified. Everybody will want to hear the Lord Jesus' word and they'll be getting to Jerusalem to hear it. You know, religious unity is the answer, but it's just not multi-religions. It is under the Lord Jesus Christ and his law and his word, and they'll want to hear that. You know, in Isaiah 11:9, it will use this analogy, that the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Here in southern Florida, you have, you have the sea, you have the Atlantic Ocean. And all that sand is completely covered by the water. Can you imagine the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover this earth like the waters cover the sand? That the earth is going to be full of his knowledge. In fact, Jeremiah 31, 34 teaches it this way. No man will have to say to his neighbor, know the Lord. You won't have to knock on their door and say, do you know the Lord? He says, no, all will know me <laughs> from the least to the greatest. That the world starts out with saints that believe and love God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for them. And then you'll have peace on earth and goodwill toward men. So religious unity is coming, but that unity will be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll want to learn his way and his word. And it will come when the kingdom of God comes. So religious unity is on the way, but religious unity is under the Lord Jesus, his way, his way. Not only that, take you down to verse 4, another feature, not only religious unity. But in verse 4, we're going to see disarmament. You know, your world is after disarmament. They want peace, and we can understand that. Nobody likes to see blood shed in these atrocities, but they keep fighting to get this peace. And, of course, one of the goals of the United Nations is to get everybody who respects everybody's ideologies and uh, to just lay down your arms just like evil doesn't exist and there's no evil to counter you, and it will just have peace, and therefore disarmament. Well, there will be disarmament. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No more marines, no more navy, no more army, no more air force. Nobody's training for war because nobody's fighting. And all the arms of war will be beaten into plowshares, agricultural tools to help food and to help the welfare of mankind. And many people long for that today, but they long for it in their sin. They won't remove this, they won't repent of sin and deal with it before the Lord Jesus. And so they won't get it. But, but here, there's going to be disarmament. You know, in New York, where I come from, and I've mentioned this before, if you go to New York City, where the United Nations is, and their great goal of world peace and disarmament. But again, you know how they get there? There's no such thing as sin. Everybody's allowed their own religion, their own ideology, and you just tolerate one another. It is not unified in acknowledging the Lord Jesus. It's unified in denying him and saying that everybody's right. 
And facing the United Nations, engraved in stone, I stood there, I took a picture of it. If you'd like to see it later, you may, okay? It's part of Isaiah 2.4. It's a scripture verse here. And here's the part that's engraved in verse 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's their goal. It's the part they leave out that is disastrous. Part A is left out. Look at part A of verse 4. And he, that is the Lord, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. It's when the Lord Jesus has his rightful place as the king of glory. And he judges among the nations from Jerusalem, Israel. Oh, that's left out. (laughs) And when that happens, when he's given his rightful city and his rightful place, when he is judging, then there'll be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. So don't make this tragic mistake the United Nations is making. They're trying to find peace without the Prince of Peace, without the Lord Jesus Christ. As tragic as that will turn out to be to their destruction, make sure today that we're not on a different level making that same mistake. There are some people, they say, well, I I plan to see God. I, I, I think I have peace with God. If you bypass the Lord Jesus who died for your sins, you'll have no peace with God. You can't leave him out and have peace. You know, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20, Having made peace by the blood of his cross. He died for it. He bore our judgment. And when we receive him as our Savior, then we have peace by what he did for us. If you leave the Lord Jesus out of your life as Lord and Savior, there'll be no peace for you. You'll be disillusioned too. Many people think, eh, it'll be all right. God loves everybody. I'll end up there. Uh, without him, you have no peace. Politically, men are trying. It'll be a disaster. Don't make the same spiritual mistake. And then for us that are already saved, there's a level in which we can make that mistake. You know, Philippians 4, 6 says to us who already have peace with God, be anxious for nothing, you know. But in every, be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, verse 7, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That sometimes in life we start to get all over anxious and we start to see how I can solve and forget that we just have to leave it with God, thank Him, and take our request to God. Not that we won't have concerns, but not to be over anxious. And when we're not over-anxious and can give it to God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so many times we have a life that is frazzled even as Christians because we've left out our confidence in the Lord Jesus. The world's doing it, and and they're going to have disarmament. They think they are without the Lord reigning among the nations. It's not going to happen. It's going to be destruction. Make sure your eternal salvation, you don't think you'll have peace with God without the Lord Jesus. You can't. You need a Savior. And then once you're saved, why, let's not leave him out of our daily life. Or we'll be anxious and stressful. But he'll he'll guard your minds with the peace of God uh, as you look to him. Uh, With Christ, there is peace. So we see in this kingdom, we, we see religious unity and we see disarmament. Let's progress in these windows of Isaiah to chapter 9 to see another feature of this coming kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9, please. These are famous verses, especially around the Christmas season. And you look at verse 6. 
this prophecy here, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The government shall be on this child that is born, this son on his shoulder. Not the cross here. The government. This is his ruling the world. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In his government, you're going to have lasting peace. It's not temporary peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. People today, they're after peace, and as we already said, there is no peace. And the cycles just repeat themselves over and over. When he deals with sin and judgment and justice, then of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there shall be no end. Jerusalem's going to be safely inhabited. The Mideast crisis will be over, Zechariah 14, 11 teaches. And so there will be lasting peace, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, all under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. What the human heart longs for today, and many are involved in these causes, uh, will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. We long for them too. We just know how they'll come about. Our program today is salvation to the world, that lighthouse, that beacon. Tomorrow when it comes, then all these things will be fulfilled, and he'll bring them about. Further, go to chapter 11 and see another feature here. Chapter 11. Look at the first five verses. Another window of the prophetic kingdom, Isaiah 11. And if you could write anything over the first five verses of Isaiah 11, you could write social justice. Social justice. Many people feel raped today in the sense of justice. Tyranny, oppression, crooked law, and law, you know, officers, and so on. And there's this. We cry for justice. Well, look when he comes in verse one, Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go out, grow out of his roots. Jesse was David's father. So out of that pedigree, there's coming a king, the son of David. Verse two. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, the sevenfold spirit, okay, understanding, counsel, so on. Look at verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. We some make, make the mistake and we say, well, it looks this way to me, and this is what so-and-so told me, and we come up with a decision. Don't go just by what your eyes see or what you hear. You have to investigate, and he won't judge that way. Look, look at verse 4. And with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle or belt of his loins, and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. Social justice, equity, taking care of the poor, righteousness that's coming in that perfect ruler, the Lord Jesus. Many men have great goals, and they found out because of their sinful heart that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But here we have the blessed, pure Son of God that isn't corrupted, and he will deal with it. Did you know how? Did you see how? He'll slay the wicked. 
Sin has to be dealt with if you want peace on earth and righteousness. And he won't overlook sin, and that's why there'll be justice. We want justice. We want our sin at the same time. Everybody wants to enjoy their sin. They cry for justice. Well, if they got justice, God would condemn you instantly to hell. And so he, he slays the wicked, and then you have righteousness and faithfulness. So I want to tell you, social justice is coming to this earth. Not only social justice. Look at verses 6 through 8. Look at verses 6 through 8 here of Isaiah 11. Talk about a child care program. You know, we talk, talk about no child left behind. How about this one? Look at verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I mean, you look at a little child, now the whole ecology has changed. And these, the animals are now tame. My, my wife's going to love that because she loves cats and lions, but she, she'd like to have a lion as a pet, but she can't yet. But anyway, uh, you'll say, what's the name of your little pet? Well, that's my lion. That's my leopard. My goodness. Uh, look at verse 7. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their, your young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. It won't be carnivorous anymore. Verse 8. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on a cockatrice's den. Child care health program. They're playing with snakes and they're not hurting them. <laughs> Everything has changed. I want to tell you, it is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Look at another feature, another window here in Isaiah. If you go to chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, if you would. And uh, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. For the, verse 1, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and he will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land, and the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take the captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. Israel will no longer be persecuted. Anti-Semitism will be gone. All the things that are stirring up the Mideast now and putting your world on the brink of disaster, you won't deal with anymore. Because the Jew is now ruling. Nobody's against a Jew. Anti-Semitism. The Lord Jesus is reigning. He's a Jew, humanly speaking. And so Israel will be exalted. In fact, if you'd keep your hand in Isaiah or put a pencil there or something, just see a little more on this if you go to Zechariah. That's the next to the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 8. Something interesting here. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8, and look, look at it here uh, in verse 20. Zechariah 8 and verse 20, please. It, it says this, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Now we talked about that. They're, they're, all nations are going to go to J Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is the Jewish territory. You know, if you want to get in to see the king, it helps if you know somebody. And since the Jewish people will be the host city of the Lord Jesus, the Jew is going to be popular. Look at verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
or 22, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you. We have heard that God is with you. God's with you. I mean, you, you have, you're, you're living in the city here. And ten nations will grab one Jew and say, hey, be our guide. You know, you know, take us, please. I mean, the Jew is going to be popular. He's going to be the access to God. Salvation is of the Jews through our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about everything man is after today is going to be solved in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to the windows of Isaiah, please, and to see a few more features. To go to Isaiah chapter 33, please. Isaiah chapter 33. We could call this a perfect government. A perfect government. Isaiah chapter 33. Let me give you the context here in Isaiah 33. Give you the context here in verse uh, 17. Verse 17. It says, Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. So the context is the king and his beauty. It's the kingdom. Now look at the government in verse 22. We're in Isaiah 33 in verse 22. It says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Did you see the three branches of government there? Look at it carefully again, verse 22. The Lord is our judge. That's a judicial branch. We call it the Supreme Court in America. The Lord is the judicial branch. Number two, the Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative branch. We call that Congress, the Senate, and so on, House of Representatives. The Lord is our lawgiver. Three, the Lord is our king. We call that the executive branch, president. It's when the Lord Jesus is all. He's the executive branch. He enforces everything. He's the legislative branch. He makes the laws. He determines what's right and wrong. He's the judicial branch. When he's all three, you have a perfect government. And he will be all three, the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, judicial, executive, and legislative. So you're going to have a perfect government. People long today. They spend their lives trying to get a better government. And they come and they go. Okay, But, but here we have a perfect government coming. You don't only have that. You talk about a health care plan. You talk about a health care plan. Look at, look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. Yeah, verse 24 of chapter 33. It says, And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. The curse is going to be lifted to some degree. Disease will be tamed. And it won't be normal to say, I am sick. Because the king of righteousness is here. More on this health care program. If you go to chapter 35, Isaiah 35. Look at a little more here on Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 here. Look at it here. Verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness waters shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. 
So, so you have uh, people who are sick and can't talk and see and hear. They're made better. And it's done by, by, by the one who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. It's coming someday. Not here yet. But it's coming someday. The first generation of Christians had a small taste of it, the Bible says. They tasted the powers of the world to come. But it wasn't permanent yet. But it's coming someday. You talk about a health care program. Not only that. How about green ecology, our environment? People today after a green earth. And the reason their passion is there is for the wrong reason. Not that we shouldn't take care of what God has given us. They look at earth as mother earth. Most believe in evolution that we haven't come from God. And so they look at earth somehow as spawned all of humanity. And if you damage mother earth, you, you'll wipe out the human race. So they're out to save the planet because they're out to save humanity, thinking that earth is our mother. But the source of life is God. He created the earth. And he will sustain the earth as long as there's winter and summer and spring and harvest time. He said the world's not going to pass away. You know, he's gonna, he, that's going to exist till the end. This world is in God's control until judgment day comes from him. But when he comes back, there it will be a green environment like you can never imagine. Look here in chapter 35. Look at verse 1. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon shall they see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So the desert will be like a rose. Uh, look at the end of verse 6 that we already read. The end of verse 6. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Verse 7. And the parched ground shall become as a pool, and the thirsty land spring of water. And the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. You're going to have a green planet. The, the whole creation is groaning in bondage right now, Romans 8 teaches. It's going to be liberated when the Son of Man comes. This whole creation is going to change. The wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. I mean, we already read that. The whole ecological environment is going to go into a green earth when the Lord Jesus comes back and deals with sin. And today they don't deal with sin, but they want a perfect earth. And so we long for these things too. But we realize that it's important, believer, to realize when they're coming so you don't spend your life now trying to make it happen now. Remember the big plan for you now toward the world is salvation, a beacon. And then the upward calling we learned yesterday as a temple of God and building up the body and the bride of Christ. That's where he's put you now. It's not that we don't believe in these things, but we know how they're going to come. And they'll come under the Lord Jesus. You know, also, another feature here in Isaiah 35, there'll be no depression, there'll be joy. You know, people today, the depression, and they go to the psychiatrist's office, and how can we get our joy back? Well, look at Isaiah 35, and look at verse 8. Isaiah 35 and verse 8. And an highway shall be there... And a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. Verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Now watch verse 10 of chapter 35. And the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with songs, and everlasting joy upon their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Everlasting joy upon their head. 
I mean, he's a God of joy. We can rejoice in Christ Jesus. We can know something of that now. But someday, on a worldwide scale, everything the world is grieved at today is going to be solved in the righteous reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you just two more. Go to Isaiah 65, please. Isaiah chapter 65. Toward the end of the prophet, Isaiah chapter 65. And we'll break in here at verse 18. Isaiah 65 and verse 18. It says, But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall no more be thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Sin will be dealt with. But there's somebody, unfortunately, maybe a child could die. How old was that little baby or child? A hundred years old. Life has expanded up to a thousand years. But now look at verse 21. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. You have prosperity, economic prosperity. Building houses, enjoying their houses. The, the land's bearing fruit. They're eating the fruit of the land. Our world, you know, today, if you, you can convince people, you'll give them economic prosperity, you're going to get voted for. Huh? They, 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 never mind what you might stand for, whatever, okay? We're concerned about stuff today, survival and economic prosperity. I want to tell you, when he comes, there's going to be economic prosperity. And there's going to be good labor conditions. You talk about labor conditions, uh, you'll, you'll have this without a union. Look here at labor conditions at verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. You don't work and then somebody else takes your property unjustly. You can enjoy the work of your hands. You talk about good labor conditions. I want to tell you, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. We as believers, our hope is that we look for we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us therefore have grace to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. This is our hope, the return of the Lord Jesus. In the meantime, we need to look at this world as headed for destruction, as the beacon of light, the plan of salvation, and then our priestly calling as a temple, upward calling, and the body with a work to grow, and, and the inward affections of the bride. We talked about that yesterday. We need to know what the calling of the church isn't today, but will be tomorrow when we judge the world. Now let me close with this. I'll probably close a little bit before quarter after 11, or quarter after 12. I know that's the time. But um, they've been speaking of my wife being the boss, you know. And, you know, my wife told me once, she says, Honey, she said, we're up there speaking, and you get to the airport, don't circle it, land a plane. And I'm not going to keep circling. I'm about ready to land a plane. But I want to land it with this, that we speak of this kingdom of God. How do you get in? Huh? How do you, you know, in, in your country, you get in by just being born naturally as a citizen. You didn't really have a say in the matter. Whatever country you're born in, you're considered a citizen. In the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. 
And, and you have to come to the Lord Jesus. In that sense, you have a say in it. Listen to what the Son of God preached when he was on earth in John 3, 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In your natural flesh and sin, we're headed for judgment, as we heard. The wages of sin is death. And so some, there has to be a conversion point in your life. You don't automatically get into this one. It's open for you to get in. But unless you're born again, you'll never see this. You need a new life. You need salvation from God above. And he has sent his son to be the savior of the world, the Lord Jesus. You need the Lord Jesus as your savior, and someday he'll be your king. Someday he'll be your king when he comes back. First you must receive him as savior. Are you born again? Let me use another scripture the Lord taught. It's in Matthew 5.20. He put it this way. Except your righteousnesses shall exceed the righteousnesses of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, I do this and I do that. Well, they were religious. You know, when I was over there on Saturday morning, they weren't watching cartoons. They were in their little caves by the Temple Mount reading Isaiah the prophet. Is that what you do at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning? Well, that's, that's righteous. You've got to have a higher righteousness than that to get into the kingdom of heaven. And that is a righteousness that comes through God by trusting the Lord Jesus. The righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to be ready for the kingdom. Listen to another way the Lord Jesus said it in Matthew 18.3. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. In childlike faith, you need to humble yourself and quit explaining things away and just believe God because he said it, as a little child does. And be converted, repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can get in this kingdom. For he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and on, he says, What? Know ye not? that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wouldn't be the kingdom of God if they were there. You're not going to inherit it. Be not deceived. Don't fool yourself. Neither fornicators, the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, the homosexuals, nor abusers of mankind, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, cheaters in business, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul gives another list of sins of witchcraft and debating and arguing and all these sins of the flesh. And in Galatians 5.21, he says, Now I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.5 puts it another way. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor covetous man who is an idolater, nor liar, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and his Christ. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So it's just simple. You like all this? You've got to be born again. It's not automatic, like your, your country's citizenship. You've got to be born the right way, born with new life, and that new life is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose again. You know what, you know what he promises you if you believe on him? It's the best-known verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you ready for the kingdom of God? Are you saved? And if you're saved, then you know what he wants you to do with your life now. And he's preparing you for that day when he will come again to be glorified in his saints. May God give you good understanding of God's world plan, future and present, as revealed in the word of God. And be encouraged, brothers and sisters. The things are, that he writes, he says, are, are true. They're true.
We're going to turn it over for whoever closes. If they have a hymn, I don't know, but it's been nice to be with you, and uh, we leave you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.